0: Let's pray. Father, may our time together this morning help us to better grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love for us. Amen. I am Peter Smith, a member here at Faith Covenant, and it's my privilege to lead us as we continue our series in Ephesians. This week we are looking at Ephesians 3, which Marie just read to us. A colleague of mine told me her two girls, one in high school and one in college, were complaining because they had just ordered something on the internet, and they are now going to have to wait two days (laughs) until it was delivered. Have you caught yourself doing that? Or your children doing that? How quickly we take modern conveniences for granted. On this occasion, my colleague pulled out one of those Catalogs from a bygone era. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Catalogs from the department stores, maybe an inch thick. You would leaf through it until you found a picture of what you wanted. Cross-reference it with the color or the sizing. You had to pull out the order form in the middle, fill it out by hand, write a check, put it in an envelope, and mail it to the company. It could be six weeks until your package showed up on your doorstep. How quickly we forget and take things for granted. When we order a toaster on Amazon and it's delivered two days later, are we amazed? There are so many things we take for granted today. If you were to take someone from 200 years ago and introduce them to the life we live today, their reaction would be one of amazement. Roads, bridges, cars. In the past six months, I've been to Kazakhstan and Uganda and India. In times past, just one of those trips would have taken the full six months, most of the time spent in the hull of a boat. We use phones and email and text to keep in touch with family, no matter where they are. I take hot showers inside my home and have running drinkable water at command out of my faucets women vote. Some of our girls may be surprised to realize their great-great-grandmothers probably didn't. Are we amazed? I think the same thing happens with our understanding of God's love for us and our knowledge of his plan for our salvation. We get used to it. We've heard it before. We know it's true. Over time, we're lulled into taking it for granted. We forget. This is a message of God's love for us is a radical one. God, the creator of the universe, the infinite holy God, loves us with an overwhelming, all-encompassing, overpowering love. He died to save us. There are three ideas I would like to highlight from our text today things that should rekindle our amazement about God's love. One, his plan of salvation includes the Gentiles, which for most of us, that's us. Two, he displays his wisdom through the church. And three, his power is at work within us. Let's think about these things and be amazed. Paul begins chapter three about to pray for the believers a second time. You will remember two Sundays ago, when Pastor Nate walked us through a prayer in chapter 1, where Paul prays, to quote Pastor Nate, for the new life in Christ to become a lived reality for the church and for believers. Paul begins chapter 3, setting up the second prayer. Verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, and then he interrupts himself. He doesn't begin the prayer until verse 14, at which point he writes one of the great prayers of the Gospels. Starting in verse 14, Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That before even starting to pray this prayer, Paul stops, backs up, and spends 12 verses explaining the vast dimensions of God's love. This love that surpasses knowledge. Today we are going to explore God's love with Paul. Our first point, how wide is God's love? His plan of salvation includes the Gentiles, us. Much like ordering on the internet can become commonplace, we forget how astonishing some things are. For the readers of Paul's letters, there was a great religious divide. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. Including the Gentiles in God's plan of salvation was a new concept. The Jews would never have conceived of such a thing. God was the God of Israel, the God of the Jews. The Jews were God's chosen people through whom he was revealing himself to the world. And yet Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 2 to 6, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. And reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. For readers in the first century, this is radical. God's salvation includes the Gentiles This indeed is a mystery revealed, and it's a good thing for you and me, because most of us are Gentiles. We are included. Are we amazed at God's love? Paul, in fact, is building on this message he was sharing just one chapter back. In chapter two, verses 11 and 13, we read, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But not only are we now included, this was God's plan all along. Ephesians 1.4 For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Allow me to pause here and remind us of our place, the Gentiles place in the great arc of human history. Follow along quickly, we're gonna run through the whole Old Testament and marvel at God's wondrous love and grace for us Gentiles. The almighty eternal God chose to create the world and in the world, he placed mankind, created in God's own image, to rule over the earth in fellowship with God. And it was good. And then man sinned, and our relationship with God was broken. So God set in motion his plan of salvation. He called the man in Haran, Adam. In Genesis 12, we read, The Lord, Abram, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country your people, and your father's household to the land I will give you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him. This is the beginning of God's covenant relationship with his people first directed to the Jews, God's chosen people. But even here, in the call of Abram, the patriarch of the people of Israel, notice God's ultimate plan revealed, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his 12 sons. Joseph leads them to Egypt, and the nation flourishes until they're made slaves. Moses comes and leads them out of Egypt to Mount Sinai where God again makes covenant promises to the people of Israel. They receive his law, are given the Ten Commandments, and a covenant of obedience and blessing or disobedience and curse. In Exodus 19 three to six at Mount Sinai, we read, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God is working in and through the Israelites Joshua leads them to take possession of the promised land, followed by a time of the judges, then the kings, King Saul, King David, King Solomon. And what does God promise King David? 2 Samuel 7.16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. But what happens? The kings sin. The kingdom is divided. The northern kingdom of Israel is conquered by the Assyria, the southern kingdom of Israel by Babylon. Where is God's promise? What about his covenant? In the midst of their warnings to the Israelites, the prophets from David's Psalms to Isaiah to Zechariah to Malachi promised the people, there is a Messiah who will come and redeem the nation of Israel. Eventually, Nehemiah and Ezra, bring back a remnant, rebuild the temple, and await the promised Messiah. We finish the Old Testament, and we have 400 years of silence, waiting God to fulfill the covenant promise to Abraham. And then the Messiah comes. God made flesh. He walks among us, declares, the kingdom of heaven is near. But instead of building an earthly kingdom, establishing the nation of Israel, he dies on the cross, rises again, appears to the disciples, ascends to heaven, and sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Now listen closely to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, in many ways the founding of the church. Acts 2, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Verse 29, fellow Israelites. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, within whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Have you heard those phrases before? What about the Gentiles? In Acts 9, we have Paul's conversion and calling. But it's not until Acts 10, after Paul's conversion, that Cornelius, a Roman Gentile, asked Peter to come and share the gospel. Remember that story? Peter needs convincing. God gives him the vision of a sheet full of unclean animals and sends him to Cornelius. Peter preaches to them. Cornelius and his family repent and believe. And in Acts 10, 45, we read, the circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter, we're astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. This is Paul's radical message. God's salvation is not just for the Israelites. It's for us Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, let us not complacently take this for granted. As Paul reminded us in Ephesians 1:4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. From the very beginning, before time began, God had a plan that included our salvation. His plan, his covenant with Abram, his covenant with the Israelites, his promise to King David, his divine intervention in the early church. His plan includes you and me, Gentiles by birth. We are included in God's new covenant established by Jesus Christ. Before Paul writes his prayer, Paul wanted to remind them of this important concept because it is part of understanding God's love for us. Verse 6 again This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Are we amazed at his love? Let's move on to the second point. Look at the next section, verses 7 to 11. Paul writes, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, we just talked about that, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch that? There's a lot we could unpack here. Probably several sermons worth. Allow me to focus our attention on this amazing expression of God's love. He displays his wisdom through the church. The manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms through the church. We, the body of Christ, the church, are his show and tell. His exhibit A, his proof to all those looking on that God is wise. Nathaniel, my son, is currently reading Les Miserables. And like many good novels, Les Miserables starts with several seemingly unrelated stories. As you get into the book, the author starts to de- develop the different threads. A couple days ago, I asked Nathaniel how the book was going and he said the stories were all starting to come together. A good author masterfully weaves the different stories together to the final planned climax. It does not happen accidentally. The author plans it from the beginning. Our inclusion in the church is not a last-minute plan. God is not trying different methods finally arriving at one that might work. The church today was and is God's intent his plan from the beginning his eternal plan listen again verse 10 his God's intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known jumping forward according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord we church are His eternal purpose, purchased and redeemed by the blood of Christ. Remember that brief history review I took you just now? It fits here as well. That is why I love to look at the Bible in one big arc. That whole arc of history, from Adam, to Abraham, to King David, to Jesus, was all leading to God's eternal purpose. The church, the body of Christ, the uniting of Israelites and Gentiles in one glorious, amazing accomplishment of Christ Jesus, the united global church of God. In our individualistic culture, do we fully comprehend what we are part of? Our salvation is not an individual salvation. Yes, God loves me, and he loves you. He loves and died for each one of us as individuals. But he does not save us to be individuals. He saves us to be part of his church. There isn't a going it alone for a Christian. God's eternal purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus, is that his manifold wisdom is made known through the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul will begin to discuss the implications for Christian life given the realities explained in the first three chapters. Not to jump too far ahead, because you'll be there next week, but listen to chapter 4 verses 1 through 4 in the context of the United Church being the proof of God's love and wisdom. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Brothers and sisters, this is why the Bible places such an emphasis on Christian unity. It is a reflection of God's grace when we are united together, displaying His wisdom not only to those in the physical world, but also to spiritual powers in the heavenly realms. At the end of Ephesians 3, Paul will close with a doxology of praise, in which he says, looking just at verse 20, To Him God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. God has given glory. In the church. I want to read two more passages that show how much God loves the church. He chooses to display his wisdom through the church because he loves it. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves, loved the church, and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And then jumping all the way forward to Revelation 19, verse 1 and 6 and 7. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God! for true and just are his judgments. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, are given her to wear. We... Are the Church the Bride of Christ, cleansed and washed without stain or wrinkle, displaying God's manifold wisdom in the heavenly realms, and looking forward to the day when God's eternal purpose culminates in the wedding feast of the Lamb of God? We, the Church, are His eternal purpose. Are we amazed at His love? Our third point, his power as at work within us. I want to skip the first part of Paul's prayer, which we read at the beginning, and jump to verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. According to his power that is at work within us. Let that sink in. We know it. We've read it. Read it again. According to his power that is at work within us. Know it again. God's power is at work within us. The power that directs the arc of history to bring Jews and Gentiles together. The power that reconciles us to God. The power that manifests God's wisdom through the church. The power that raised Christ from the dead. That power is at work within us. How much can God do? Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That is His power. That is His love. Rest in it. Soak in it. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. What are you struggling with today? Old hurts? New ones? habits that won't go away, sin, bitterness, broken relationships, challenges at work or home, sickness or hardship. It's not our power, it's God's power at work within us that makes the difference. This is God's all encompassing, overwhelming, overpowering love. God's love is wider and longer and higher and deeper than anything we may face. And Paul prays for the believers. We should pray for ourselves, that we would grasp God's love is more than enough for anything we carry. And knowing that, may we be filled with God's love and see him at work within us according to his power. And God is not just transforming us, God is working through us to transform the world. As we marvel at God's love and then allow his power to work within us, we become the means by which God shows his love to others. Oswald Chambers gives a great picture of this. He writes, A river touches places of which its source knows nothing. And Jesus says, If we have received of his fullness however small the visible measure of our lives, out of us will flow rivers that will bless to the uttermost parts of the earth. We have nothing to do with the outflow. This is the work of God that ye believe. Through the love of Christ working in us, we can be the source, the spring. We may never know the full impact of the river of God's love that flows through us, but the water does have impact, beyond what we can ask or imagine, touching your family, your church, your neighborhood, Chicago, the Midwest, and the world. Are we amazed at his love? God's love is so long and wide and high and deep that his plan of salvation includes the Gentiles, He displays his wisdom through the church and his power is at work within us. Paul prayed that we would grasp and know this love that surpasses knowledge. This is not an intellectual challenge. The only way we can know a love that surpasses knowledge is to experience it. Two summers ago my family took a road trip out east. Part of the trip, we drove to Niagara Falls. But why bother to go? You can read about the falls and see pictures on the internet. Why go? Because the power of those falls cannot be understood by study. You must experience it. As we drove up the first evening, winding along the road on the US side approaching the overlook, the roar of the falls and the mist towering over the canyon caused my family to exclaim in awe. But even this vantage point from the top held nothing to the experience of boarding a boat, the maiden of the mist, and riding up close, surrounded by the roar and spray and swells of the power of the falls crashing down around us. This was no longer a postcard. This was real. It is the same with God's love. It is not a matter of theory or doctrine. The only way to truly know this love that surpasses knowledge is to experience it, to open your heart and let God fill you with His fullness and let His power work in you. If you have never experienced God's love personally, I invite you to come pray with the deacons after the service. Open your life to God's love, let Him work in you. For those of us who have experienced, ask today, do we take this for granted? Are we amazed at his love? Where do you need his touch? Where do you need his power? Where do you need to see God's all-encompassing, overwhelming, overpowering love to touch you again? Ask him. As a church, Do we let God's love unite us and empower us? Do we let his power work within us, Christ Church, so that we, faith covenant, can impact our community and the world? I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long In high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.